I went through quite a life change and that softened me a lot. And I ended up having to do a lot of work on myself and all of that. And this much softer version of myself appeared, which was like, Hey, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to have all the answers. You can ask for help. You can be vulnerable, you know? And I was like, shit, that would have served me very well years ago. And and more served me from like my own mental health and like anguish to your point of like feeling like I had to be this certain way. And and I would make a lot of people suffer. And there was a lot, of, I brought in a lot of pain when now I would do differently. Hi, I'm Derek Mills. Welcome to the Globe Podcast. This week on our podcast, I share my conversation with the founder of Dry Bar and serial entrepreneur, Allie Webb. Her success is a testament to her following her heart, listening to her intuition, asking for help when she needed it, and choosing paths that though difficult and challenging, led to healing and growth. We explore all of that in this episode. Allie makes it clear that while there's no one pathway to success, there is inner work that all entrepreneurs and leaders and managers must do. If you try to skip that work, as some version of success comes or doesn't, you may be unprepared for what could follow next. We talk about hiring and team culture, starting new ventures, and the positive impact that coaching can have on founders and managers who might otherwise avoid the tough conversations they need to have. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ali Webb. Hi, Ali. So wonderful to be here with you today. Thanks for having me. So I have two dry bar stories that I want to share with you to kick this off. Oh, and, good. All right. So the first time I saw one, I was with my wife. I don't recall if we were in Manhattan Beach or Brentwood. Was Manhattan Beach an early location? Brentwood was the first location. Manhattan Beach was like, not not early, probably a couple of years in. Okay, so maybe it was Brentwood, possibly. Probably. And I could see it just buzzing inside with activity. And I was with my wife, like I mentioned, and it was her first time seeing one as well. And she said, wow, that is so genius. Uh, but she did have to explain to me why it was a genius idea. Uh, you know, I'm someone who I think probably for 15 years cut my own hair with the the buzzer, <laughs> the clippers, and you know, number, know. number six on top. Mm -hmm. And uh, when she did, it completely made sense to me uh, as to why it was and is so genius. The other story is we were once in San Francisco, my wife and I, and uh, we got invited for a conference and we got invited to a last minute event. And, you know, a whole day at a conference, tired dirty, yeah. not wanting to just, just want to go back to the room and do nothing. Uh, within minutes, she found a dry bar and the, the words hopped in taxi, went and came back and the word she used, it just saved her. So mm, I love that. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, now, you, you know, as, as a guy, which a lot of guys do need to have it explained to them. And now, you know, and usually it is by like a wife or daughter or sister. Um, and now that you understand it, you know, I mean, I know that feeling because, you know, it does. And a lot of women say that like it saved me because I had to go to this event and I didn't have time and I needed to look a certain way. It's also, which she may or may not have told you is like, it's really relaxing and, and like rejuvenating. It's similar to like getting a massage, which, you know, of course we'll hit on that later, but 
it is like you get to like decompress for an hour. Someone washes your hair, which, you know, even though you've been cutting your own hair, you know, like when you get your hair washed by somebody else. And again, as a guy, you've not really experienced this, but the actual act of getting someone to blow out your hair, it feels really good. The ambient noise of the blow dryer is relaxing. You know, you've heard, I'm sure that, you know, it's something that moms use for babies too, you know, to, to calm them down and get them sleep. So it, it, that's the thing about dry bar that, listen, I wish I could tell you, I, I mapped that all out and I knew about, I, I mean, I knew those things peripherally on some level, but you know, it's, it's all of that stuff coming together. And then at the end, she walks out, she feels amazing, which may, she looks amazing, which makes her feel amazing. Plus she just spent an hour totally decompressing, relaxing, probably, you know, watching the movie or just, just tuning out the world and not talking to anybody, you know, and that, all of that is the magic, you know, that, that is the reason that dry bar became so successful, not to mention the branding and the atmosphere and the price point and all of those things too. But there's some, there's so much about that moment that she experienced and explained to you. That is why, you know, dry bar became so successful. So I love those stories. <laughs> That's critical because yeah. so much of what I think we'll get into today and the success of dry bar and, and it seems everything you touch thereafter also has to do with these intangible, intuitive feeling moments of well, there's something larger here. There's something more going on. There's something more holistic. Yeah. I maybe can't put it all to words, but I know it feels yeah. good for me. And yeah. so then maybe it might feel good for a lot of other people. And yeah, sure enough, science tends to follow a, a lot of these kind of more intuitive sensing yeah. uh, ways of going through the world that ultimately are very therapeutic. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. And, and I think that's like always been kind of my guiding light is just like, I, I, you know, I mean, I grew up with entrepreneurial parents, you know, who had, there was such a focus for them on customer service and the way you made people feel. And that was in, you know, a very different kind of environment. They were selling clothes. However, they had a very genius idea ahead of their time as well, which they, you know, they would, they, I grew up in South Florida and, you know, they had these little clothing boutiques that were catered towards like older women, like grandma, there's age. And, uh, you know, most, most grandmothers would only shop at like, or could only shop at like the mall. That was all that was available to them. And that was a tough thing for them to get to and whatever. And my parents opened up what was called flips in these little shopping centers, you know, where the trolley would take them over from the, like the retirement center and drop them off. And there's the bagel <laughs> shop and the dry cleaner and the bank and the Chinese restaurant. And then my parents opened and the hair salon and my parents opened flips, which is like discount clothing stores. And my, my dad used to set up like, used to bring the men bagels and orange juice in the newspaper. And they have like a row of chairs sitting so the wives could shop. And if the men were happy, the wives could shop longer and they were just more at ease. And so, you know, I learned from, I've, I've experienced that. I wasn't paying attention when I was young, but I, I know so much of that was like ingrained in me of like the way you make people feel. And it was in that case, it was like my mom, you know, my mom also had this, like, she was such a martyr and would like bend over backwards for customers. And they were, you know, grumpy. I mean, they were like older and you know how people, you know, it's just like, as you, we get older, we get grumpier, sure. you know? And my mom, I would watch my mom be so incredibly kind to these women who weren't all that nice to her all the time. And my dad bent over backwards for the husbands. And it was like, wow, you know, it's like they were making people feel really good. And I think that, that was, that's been so ingrained in me. And so when I went out into the world, you know, I, I moved to New York City when I was in my 20s and 
I always experience businesses differently, I think, than than probably most people were like, I immediately was like annoyed when people weren't treating me a certain way. I was immediately frustrated if it was dirty or the music was right. Like, all, like it was like, it's almost like a sensory overload to me. I mean, it's like a blessing and a curse because I walk in a place and I'm just like nitpicking the shit out of it because it's just how I was, I think how I was raised and what's in my, in my blood, you know? And so mm-hmm you know, dry bar and now all these and all the other things I do just come from that same like desire for things to be a certain way. And I don't always nail it and I miss the mark plenty, but um, that is, that is kind of the driving force, I think, which was like, I owe so much to my parents for like instilling that in me. What a wonderful gift from your parents. Customer experience is critical. That makes me think of how I was our only customer support agent for the first four years of glow from the end of 2008 to the end of 2012 mainly because we are self-funded and i couldn't afford to hire a team at that time and it wasn't until we had other teams up and running that we started to hire for customer experience and i also wanted it done in a certain way which also speaks to what you would refer to the sometimes intangible intuitive sense you have about how you want key experiences uh, for your customers to flow in a specific way. Um, There are other aspects of GLOW that are intuitively felt non-negotiables for us, but that's a whole perhaps a topic for another time. And I'm, I'm fascinated with how companies scale brand DNA as a team grows. There are certainly functional and dysfunctional ways to do that, like you mentioned. What I really appreciate and respect about your background story is that it sounds like you were less interested in pursuing someone else's idea or society's idea of how your life should unfold, but rather you were following your heart, you know, sort of per what we were just discussing. And you listen to those inner voices, you ask for help, you, you seem to choose paths and experiences that though difficult and sometimes painful, they seem to lead to learning and growth, you know, all of which seems to also allow you to create the conditions to pursue, uh, pursue something uh, that uh, and create something that is unique to you. And yeah. I, haven't, I haven't heard you say this word exactly, but I, I hear kind of an underlying thread or a, a foundational message of like, do the hard work to be you, be yourself, do you. The world doesn't need more of someone else. The world needs more of you. And so... I was thinking two questions to kind of kick us off. Uh, number one, is that correct? And number two, if yes, I'm wondering, like, can we frame part of your background story you know, uh, up to starting Dry Bar through that lens of, of being on this path of constant self-discovery and, and self-expression? Yeah, yeah. And I think that that is true. Um, and I don't think I've ever said it quite like that either, but I think that is a pretty good framing of it because, you know, I, I really was very kind of lost out of um, high school. And, you know, I was very, so confused about how my friends knew what they wanted to do with their lives. And I didn't. And I was like, you know, I I had thought about doing hair, I'd thought about going into fashion. And I felt it was a really scary kind of feeling. It was like, oh shit, what what am I going to do? I didn't have very good grades, you know. I so I wasn't like a scholar. I wasn't a, like an I was I was an athlete, but not like I wasn't going anywhere with that. 
I did want to be a professional tennis player and was pretty good for a while, but that's another story. Um, but yeah, so it was like, okay, I think I just need to, you know, I think it was, I just kept kind of, I, I definitely couldn't have said this back then, but I think what I, what I did intuitively was just kept, I kept doing the things that I like doing. I'm such a, like, if I don't want to do something like I, it's really hard for me to do it. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people are like that, but so I was like, I'm going to just keep, but I didn't, but I also was, was driven and ambitious in my own right. So I was like, I'm just going to keep doing the things that I like doing and I'm going to keep finding things that I like doing. And I was all over the place. Like I really did think I was going to be a professional tennis player. Like I had that dream for a while and until that dream like faded away and became not a reality, you know? And then I, my parents took us to New York city a lot when I was a kid and I just was dying to go to New York city. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I wanted to be in the city and I wanted that experience. I grew up in, you know, South Florida, Book Raton, and it was a great place to grow up. But I was like, I need a lot more than this. Like I got to get out. I want to be in a city. I want to be like, I was so enamored with New York and, and the magic of it and the opportunity that I could like sniff, but I didn't know exactly what it meant to me. And so my, because I think because of my parents' background, I decided to go into fashion. And that really was like a jumping off point, you know, and I had, and, and I really, I really just did jump around from thing to thing, trying to figure out what, what it was that like made me tick, like what it was that I liked. And I, I, I definitely kind of had a bad rap within my family and friends of like, oh, you know, like, you know, how people, if you look at someone's resume and they've, they've been at a lot of different jobs, you're kind of like, uh, you know, there was like this like stigma around that, but I, I, I didn't really care. And I kind of just kept jumping from thing to thing. And it, and I, it was so important as I look back, you know, from like, I, you know, deciding to work in fashion and I, you know, I, I worked at some really cool I worked for Nicole Miller and Cynthia Raleigh and that was really awesome. And then, you know, and then I worked in PR for a while and I had like a dog walking business. I did all these random things and so much of all of those businesses and those, or those jobs prepared me, you know, for, for who I ultimately became, you know, it was like working in PR was such a great, it was such a weird like side project or side thing. But it, it like it really I had to like sit at a cubicle and write emails, which I'd never done. And so I had to learn how to like write professionally, which really was important, which served me much later when I'm now running a big company, you know, um, and, and learning how to deal with people and all of that. And um, all of all of the different things I did served me really well. So, yes, I think that I'm a bit of a like poster child for like do the thing that makes you happy because that thing will ultimately lead you to do more things that make you happy and make you, you know, and, and that was really how I, how I, you know, addressed my twenties. And I was really lucky that I had parents who were like very supportive. My parents, you know, supported me somewhat when I lived in New York, but like barely. And I was like, you know, living in a teeny tiny shitty apartment and, but nobody cares when you're like in your twenties. And, you know, so I, I definitely like followed that like intuition of what do I want to keep doing? And, you know, and, and dry bar, you know, leading up to dry bar was like, you know, somewhere along that path in my twenties, I went to beauty school and, and just, and then moved back to New York city and worked in hair salons and did all that until I got married and had two kids and became a stay at home mom. And, you know, I, you know, all, the, the leading up to dry bar, I would never have guessed that any of the stuff I did would have mattered. It wasn't until we started dry bar and I was like, Oh, that when I worked for the guy who owned John Peters in Boca Raton, I was like, I was able to draw on all that experience. Cause he was the owner of the salon. So I knew things that I like, didn't even know that I knew that were just 
back there in my brain. And, and, and I was able to draw so much of, of all the things I, I learned in my twenties by all these random jobs, which I feel like was my like college, you know, all of those jobs and all of those experiences and things that I fucked up and things that I did well, all of that stuff so much like helped what, you know, who I became, you know, running dry bar. And, and so, you know, I think that that is the, the lesson here is like, you can, you can do your own path. You can go your own way, whether it's college or not college. And I'm, you know, I think, I think it's cool now. I mean, I, it's ironic to me how much I get asked to speak at colleges because I didn't go to college, but so many colleges have these great entrepreneurship programs and like allowing students, you know, people are writing papers about me all the time, which is such a, like, is so mind blowing to me. Um, cause I'm like, you know, it's so, I mean, it's really crazy to my family. Um, you know, cause I wasn't a good student and college was not really ever a thing for me. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, I think that all of that stuff was like very uniquely prepared me for what, you know, I, I ultimately would become my biggest success. And that can be so scary because in those moments or in those years where you're working somewhere, it may not feel like a hundred percent of a fit, but you know, you're learning something and you're following mm -hmm. some kind of path and you're taking a peek into some kind of world and yeah, to be okay with the fact that that may not make sense at the time. I mean, one of my favorite things to say to people is trust your path. You know, mm. it's like, and there is something to be said for like, pay your dues, like do it, do a shitty job for a while. Just see what it's like. I mean, when we started dry bar, I, you know, so I, I mean, I, this is kind of another story, but I, you know, it's like, even like I, I, I did everything. I did every job at Tribar. I cleaned the bathrooms, I cleaned toilets, I cleaned floorboards, I washed hair. I did everything. And, and when I worked in a hair salon, I did all of that stuff too. And I used to have to walk. I mean, I worked for this guy, John Sahag, who was very famous in, in the hair world. And he had these two massive greyhounds, big, big dogs. And he had a salon in Madison Avenue. And I used to have to walk those dogs to go to the bathroom on Madison Avenue. And you, you know, you can do the math on what, how humbling that experience was, <laughs> but it was like, I didn't like it at the time. And I was like, Oh, I'm so embarrassed having to pick up things like big piles of shit of these dogs. Mm -hmm. But that was like part of my job. And it was like all of that stuff that I did to your point. I didn't love all of that at the time. And, and I wasn't like, you know what, this is going to be good for my future. Like, obviously I wasn't <laughs> thinking any of that. But as I look back, you know, but I, I think again, back to like my parents and, and what I wish for people now is like to have that, like you, you know, you pay your dues, you bend over backwards, you do shit you don't like to do. And all of that stuff builds character and makes you, you know, a very well-rounded person. So again, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I had all those experiences. I'm guessing people come to you for advice all the time asking, you know, how do I start a business? And uh, yeah. in my personal experience, there tends to be this desire to kind of jump over all of the whatever version of picking up someone else's dog's shit on a busy street <laughs> while very yeah. fancy people in fancy clothes are passing you and you know all the shame and whatever else comes with that do you see that this this tendency to want to just short circuit all of yes. that and get right to wealth fame etc yeah. as quickly as possible yeah totally i mean i think that there's like there's this like run before you walk mentality that often, not always, you know, I mean, I, 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 you know, I definitely like mentor some, you know, founders who are starting businesses. And, you know, I happen to be mentoring this girl right now is this really cool business called braid babes. And, you know, she, and the part of the reason I enjoy mentoring her is because she, she works so hard and, 
she has the right attitude and the right skill set to your point where the people I'm not interested in working with are the, the people who just kind of want it handed to them and aren't willing to like, you know, scrub the floors and do what needs to be done. Um, and it was also, by the way, how I hired too, and how I continue to hire. It's like, I want somebody who will do whatever needs to be done. I was always that girl. Like I would do any job, anytime whether, whether I was asked to, or just because I saw that somebody needed to be doing it, you know, being that person who's like, I'm only doing the job I'm paid for. That's not part of what we talked about. Like all that shit is like, it makes my skin crawl. And and I experienced that, you know, I mean, there is, there is a generation that has that mentality of like, you know, of like, I'm just, I'm only going to do what you've paid me for and and not one, you know, second more. And I, you know, and that just isn't, I, you know, that I, that's just not the way to success for me. And maybe it is for some people, but it's certainly not, not my formula. <laughs> <laughs> and is there something you look for during the interview process to filter out for that? Yeah, I, I think it's, it, you know, anybody who I'm talking to for a job, it's like, I want, I want that like undying passion you know, it's like, that to me speaks volumes of like, I am going to, you know, get in there and do whatever it it needs to be done. I'm going to work my ass off. I'm going to prove it to you. And, you know, and I, and and those are the people I hire. I mean, I just hired, I mean, I I guess it doesn't matter if I talk about it publicly. I, I recently hired, and she'd be a great interview for you too. Her name is Jessica Sweet Swag. We call her Jay Z. Um, and she has, a, she has her own company called Simply Be. She just put out a great book and she's like, a, she has like a branding agency. And, and I, she's been a big fan of mine for a long time. She had me on her podcast and then I had her on my podcast and she was explaining kind of what she does. And I was like, huh, it's really interesting. I'm like, I kind of need that, you know? And, and so we started talking, we kind of became friends. And so I recently hired her and and, and part of like, you know, our courting process and part of the reason that I hired her was because, you know, she was like, I, I, I want to prove myself to you, you know, cause like she's expensive. And I was like, of course I was negotiating as I do. <laughs> and she's like, I, I'm going to prove myself to you and I'm going to show you what I can do for you. And just have this, like, I will make it work. And I will show you that nobody's going to do this better. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it was just like, she really got me. She was, you really understood really listen to like what my needs were. And so all of those things are, you know, on on all different levels of hiring people, those are all the things that matter to me. It's like this like unwavering, you know, excitement or belief in in what you're interviewing for or about. And and this like, I will do whatever needs to be done to, you know, to make this work. Because I think at the end of the day, I mean, especially for a startup, you know, in the beginning of a business, it's like having people around you who have that mentality, which which I very much experienced on Drybar and who we hired or the right hires that we made were like, you just, you just have to know that you're in an environment that's not a corporate environment that we're like, the shit hits the fan. You might be doing something that you've never done before and you don't know how to do, but the fact that you're willing to do it makes all the difference to me. So that that's really what I look for more than experience or a resume or anything like that. Yeah, that's powerful. Speaking of Jessica, yes, she's been on our podcast. That was episode 19. She was interviewed by my wife, Lisa, who in addition to co-hosting Glow's podcast is also Glow's chief impact officer and Yes, we agree. Jessica is very inspiring. She's awesome. Yeah, I love her. And I was so, you know, she's such a breath of fresh air. And, you know, it's been nothing, you know, she's been so incredibly impressive to me. And, and, you know, those are the people who become really successful. For sure. 
Yeah, the magic does seem to happen when all of the different paths that one took seem to come together in a confluence that is directed towards something which is greater than oneself. And that's that kind of magic, magic uh, crucible within which like all the pieces and all the past is put in it all gets cooked together and something worthwhile comes out at the other end. It's it's really amazing. I'm, I'm such a big believer in that stuff. As of today, your most recent post on your Instagram feed is you and your fiance, Adrian, who is a leadership coach, announcing the launch of Impact Series. Yes. Also, I've heard you say in other interviews that you could have used the type of coaching you've been experiencing recently five or six years ago. I yes. forgot what time frame you said specifically. Two questions. What is Impact Series and why has coaching been so helpful for you? Well, Impact Series is basically um, this new kind of thing that we're trying because you know, Adrian, so Adrian, my fiance, um, he's a brilliant coach and, and leadership, you know, we just, you have to, we have to like sum his title down. So it's like leadership business coach, but you know, one of the things that as I've gotten to know him and, you know, and his ways and his style, it's like, he, he coaches leaders, usually CEOs and founders of really amazing big companies. And, and, it's, it's what I've learned most from him is like, it's all very intertwined, the like business and personal, which I used to, and I've said in a gajillion interviews, it's not business. It's, you know, it's not personal, it's business, which now I eat those words because what I've learned is like, what so much from him is like, whoever we are, whatever we're going through, we take to wherever we go, you know? And sometimes that's, you know, that is a reflection you know, if you're have if you're struggling at home, it's going to show up at work, and if you're struggling at work, it's going to show up at home. And you know, th- what's what's fascinating to me about the work that he does in the coaching is that it's not. I always thought like, oh, you're giving people advice and telling them what they should do, and he's like, no, I don't ever tell anybody what they should do. Mm-hmm. I help them figure out what they should do mm-hmm. on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, which was like, oh my god, you know, and you know, and for me, like I've historically been like an avoider, and and in in you know, I'm not in the day to day of dry bar the way I was, but you know, in those earlier days, and I would say year around like year four or five, we brought in a lot of money, we brought in a professional CEO, we started hiring like, you know, you know these these amazing executives, and I had never worked with people of that caliber, and it was like. I was like, really, I lost my footing in terms of like dealing with these types of people who were coming in to do a job and a job that they knew really well that I didn't, you know, scaling a business, like we, we needed to become scalable and Michael and I didn't know how to do that, but it was like the relationship I had with certain people who worked at our company who were, who were great executives but we didn't mesh. And I, you know, and I didn't know how to have like tough conversations with them. And I didn't know how to deal with the things that were bothering me. And I didn't know how to like approach all of that stuff. And so I just kind of was like, you know, I was like mad about it. And I would talk, I would bitch to my brother about it. And, you know, when John Hefner came in, he was our CEO and he was amazing. 
you know, he, I would talk to him a lot about it and it was like therapy sessions, you know, and at that time I could have used, this is what I talk about a lot. is like, I could have used someone like Adrian. And I remember the idea getting floated and I was very much in the camp of like, I don't want to, I don't want to coach it. That's so stupid. <laughs> I mean, you know, because a lot of, a lot of things like were like that for me back then, you know, where I was like, it is this, like, I'm going to just like fake it until I make it. And it's like, I'm just going to no, I don't need help. You know, I had that mentality. Also that this, like, I am not supposed to ask for help. I'm like the boss. This is my thing. And this is my idea. And I have to like, I have to pretend like I know what I'm doing. All of that stuff is what I thought, you know, and had I had known someone like Adrian, I probably would have like, been able to walk some of that stuff out and have some of those tough conversations that I really frankly was avoiding, which wasn't helping anybody, you know? So, so that's, you know, a lot of what he does. And so the impact series has come as a result of like, you know, I get, as you, as you mentioned before, tons of people ask me for advice or like, Hey, can we get coffee so I can pick your brain? It's like, I, you know, I have such little time and, and, but, but I, I do really love the aspect of giving back. I always have, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, open to, I get approached all the time from like high school students, college students who are, you know, like I mentioned before, doing papers and whatever. And I will always, I really always try to make time for that kind of stuff. But, you know, I don't have time to talk to every single person starting a business. So these impact series are, you know, kind of a way to marry what he does and, and his, you know, his style and approach of like getting people to open up, getting people to talk, getting people to see what their roadblocks are, what their blind spots are. He's brilliant at that. You know, I obviously have like the real world experience of living those blind spots and roadblocks. So, you know, they did, Adrian has done lots of different seminars with his business partners and that we did this like kind of, you know, to see what it would be like this thing in Austin a couple months ago with Jenny, who's the founder of Jenny's ice cream, who's a really good friend of mine. Adrian has coached her for a while and we did this, they did Adrian and Jenny and then his partner, Mark did this kind of seminar in Austin a couple months ago. And it was great. And it was also people coming out of like COVID and being in a room together, which was awesome. And it's a small, very intimate group, only like 20 people, you know, but it, it like gives him a chance to like coach people in almost in real time, but in a group setting. So you, you're learning because honestly, we all have the same problems. So, you know, scaling, growing people, it's like everyone kind of, and so when you're hearing other people talk about the, the problems they have and the things that are going on with their business and how do you improve that, and so he's like, you know, we're talking to different people one-on-one -on -one in a group setting. It's really powerful and you learn so much. And I, I was at that one, not for the entire thing, but you know, it's just, it's so, it's so fun, first of all, to talk to people about these things. And I think that I, you know, having gone through all the different things I've gone through with building Drybar, you know, have obviously, you know, loved to, to give back as much as I learned. So many people were so generous to me along the way that, so this impact series is truly meant to like leave an impact, motivate you to get back out there, you know, find, figure out, like discover things about yourself, your business that aren't maybe working well. So, I mean, I could go on and on, but that's like the gist of it. So we're excited and we get to do it together, which is fun. And, and, and we don't agree on everything as you, as you, I'm sure you can imagine, you know? And so we, you know, I love it. And he loves it too. And he asks me questions and I just, I disagree with him a lot on things um, and he's a very like, what's your vision? And I'm like, I don't fucking know, you know? And, and so we have this like, you know, it's, it's a funny, it's, it'll be a funny, fun weekend. Yeah. It's, it's, it's enjoyable. And I really do love like how people get so much out of it. It's, it's really rewarding for me. Yeah. That group work can be so powerful. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I experienced that on a different level with this onsite, which is another, now I'm on the board of onsite, which is this amazing place I went to after my divorce and my life was like falling apart. And it's that kind of group therapy setting. And mm -hmm. it is like, you're when you hear other people talk about their problems, and you're like, Oh, I can relate to that. And hearing it from a different perspective is very powerful, mm -hmm. which is also part of why we love this idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was huge for me. I forgot how many years ago that was in my own journey of, of processing shame and all sorts of other aspects of um, myself that just weren't helpful in terms of leadership and management that mm -hmm. so many people have the same problems or variations of the same issues, uh, you know, obviously depending upon one's upbringing and trauma and so many other things that, that can vary quite extensively. But yeah, I mean, what you said about uh, you know, business and personal being intertwined. Well, of course, you know, we show up as messy humans to work. And so how could we not bring everything that makes But you know, I was like, I really was like, didn't, and, and, and obviously I think the pendulum swung so far for me, but I didn't want to show any of that stuff. I really was like, I just, I want to appear like I have it all together. I have all the answers. I know exactly what I'm doing all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, really was how I was operating. Cause like, I didn't know any better or different, you know, Yeah. you know, and, and it really was like, I mean, I went through quite a life change and that softened me a lot. And I did, a, I ended up having to do a lot of work on myself and all of that. And, 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 and this like very, this like much softer version of myself appeared, which was like, Hey, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to have all the answers. You can ask for help. You can be vulnerable. You can, you know, and I was like, shit, that would have served me very well years ago and, and more served me from like an, my own mental health and like anguish to your point of like feeling like I had to be this certain way. And I was a bitch a lot, you mm -hmm. know? I, I mean, I was really, I would walk in the stores and I was mad. Mm -hmm. I was mad that things weren't the way I wanted it to be. And it was mad it wasn't exactly what I wanted. And, and I would make a lot of people kind of suffer. And there was a lot, of, I brought in a lot of pain, you uh -huh. know, when now I would do differently. Yeah, and that resonates. If I could go back and do things differently too, I would like channeling my anger and frustration in healthier ways. I have to actively work on my own stuff behind the scenes in therapy or in a group setting or in coaching and along with my other wellness practices so that I'm not unconsciously working through my fears or my insecurities with work colleagues in a way or in ways that are dysfunctional or unconsciously hurtful. Though having said that, in healthy work culture and relationships, there definitely needs to be time and place for vulnerability, but with appropriate boundaries, which is a skill that also requires that I'm actively considering in the moment why I'm sharing and with whom. For myself, that work is ongoing. If I don't do it, I've noticed historically there's an increase in likelihood that my action or my lack of action can potentially cause some form of pain, dysfunction, inefficiency, all of which uh, is the last thing I want to be the cause of. <laughs> yeah, it's almost unavoidable until we, until we like see the light, you know, which is also part of why you know, I like talking about this stuff and I like that we're doing these seminars. It's just like it, people opening up about their stuff and feeling free is 
it's so awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that historically you're an avoider. You know, this concept of like I don't need help. Uh, you know, just push on through. Like uh, perfectionism kind of fueling so much of that. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. sprinkle in uh, an unhealthy dose of imposter syndrome. And I love yes. I love that story that you shared, where you know you were sitting in a boardroom and not feeling as though, or I could be projecting this incorrectly, but uh, it seemed like you were, you weren't you weren't confident to speak up, and so you were texting your brother you know, during yeah. the meeting. And and what was your experience of of addressing imposter syndrome and, and moving through that? Well, you know, I think it's it goes to show like having good people around you who believe in you who are in your corner, it goes a long way, you know, for me, which is why I'm, I'm always big on partnerships. You know, I, I'm sure I could do things by myself, but like, even, you know, in all of my businesses, I have partners and, and not everybody agrees with that or feels that way. But, you know, my brother being my brother, my biggest fan and supporter, you know, he, he was, he was very much, you know, what was interesting to backtrack a little, Michael and I worked together previously. We opened a couple of Nicole Miller boutiques back in South Florida. We grew up and we, we were like going to kill each other and it was not good. And we had always been really close, but that particular situation was really bad. And we, it was like very detrimental. So when we told my parents, we were going to go into business with dry bar. My parents were like, what, you know, cause it almost like, it felt like it almost ruined our relationship. So we had a very like come to Jesus this is how it has to be the things that were bothersome to him and to me. But the beauty of, of dry bar was that I, I knew the hair business really well and he didn't. So it was like, Michael was always the overachiever, super smart. And he just is like, he's just one of those like naturally very smart people, like um, book smart where I wasn't, you know? And so when we were, we were, you know, we were concepting dry bar and we were having these conversations. It was like, I, I brought things to the table that he didn't know. And so fast forward to like being bored, a board room and Michael being the one to help me navigate through this stuff, you know, his, his response to those texts were always like, that's a good question. You should ask it. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, it is. You know? And so little by little, the confidence that he gave me and, and really also the confidence that I felt like I got even from the board. I mean, I, I have to give a lot of credit to like, you know, Jenna Gerwich, who was, you know, who founded Laura Mercier Cosmetics. And for all the ladies listening, they definitely know that brand. I'm sure your wife does. Um, you know, that, that there was like, they, they also helped bring it out of me. And even like our partners at Sephora, when we were, when we were developing the product line, you know, it was like a lot of people believed in me, you know, they're like, and, and I, it, it started to dawn on me like, Oh, I had this really great idea. I brought in really smart people to help me execute it because I couldn't have done it, but I could not have done it by myself. Like I can't preface that enough. You know, Cam, my ex-husband, you know, the branding and the genius, that was a huge part of it. My brother and his business sense. And then like I had the hair, but like I could never have done it by myself. But all of these people around me from, you know, from my brother to our, some of our board members to, you know, our, our product partners and, and beyond, you know, gave me the confidence to be like, oh, you know, like, I, you know, I may not be traditionally smart like these board members and I didn't go to Stanford or Harvard, but I'm smart in my own way, in my own right. And once I really started, I mean, I feel like this sounds really hokey, but once I really started to believe that, I was like, it was like, it was like a very like opening moment for me of like, you know what? I am fucking smart. Like I can, you know, I should say what I think, Hell yeah. you know, and sometimes I still feel like, 
I'm, I, oh, I say this a lot. Like I am almost never the smartest person in the room. There's like stuff that I don't know that I should know about like the world, which is like, oh, it's like a thing for me. And I, I have to often ask like what words mean. And I look up tons of words in the middle of conversations, but you know, it's like, but I'm, I have my own, my own genius and that is my thing. And that's my superpower. And then, you know, and I, I figure out the rest, which I think is, is the, the, the big takeaway here is like figure out what you know what you're good at and then bring people in who don't who who don't who are who don't have a different set of skills that you, that you don't have then that i think that was always probably my best you know thing that i did was like surround myself with people who are smarter than me and know things that i don't and that's such a powerful center of gravity because as you have and expand upon that confidence to bring in people who as you said are smarter than yourself that that's growth that's learning that's scaling yeah. the more that happens and the faster that happens the better our company and team does i think that's such a wonderful message you're sharing because if managers are for whatever reason hesitant to hire people that push upon challenge expand the status quo that can be stifling and dysfunctional for their teams and for the company as a whole and it's it's like a muscle i think because i I will always want to be that person, but I do struggle if being real is like, I do struggle with the like, no, 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 I know. I know my way is that my way is the best way. And this is the way we should do it. It still takes me like I, I still to this day, you know, it is, it is like a, a tendency almost, I guess. It's like when I'm on a, I'm on a call and we're talking about something and I have an idea and I think this, and then, you know, my partners will be like, well, I think we should, and, and, my, I get like a fire in my belly being like, no, you don't know what? No. And then I'm like, oh, fuck, Allie. Yes. Listen to somebody else. You know, mm. it is. So I, I do think it's like it's something which is why I think it's important to always be growing and to always be like, you know, for me, it's like listening to things that are inspiring, listen, you know, being humble. All of those things matter because it is my my natural. And I assume this is like a human tendency is to be like, no, no, I'm I'm right you don't know what you're talking about, you know, and I have to remind myself that's not true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's probably baked into our DNA, evolutionarily speaking. We probably, you probably uh, survived better if you were speaking in a particular way and welcomed by the tribe versus getting kind of kicked out of the cave to fend up with the saber-toothed tigers. And it's like, it's, it's vulnerable, right? You don't want to be like, oh, yeah your idea is better. Like nobody wants to say that. Like our egos are very powerful, which is a lot of what I've learned from Adrian too. It's like this, like, it's okay to say you don't understand or you're wrong or, or I'm wrong. Or I, this isn't, you know, it, and that's just hard to do in all the aspects. It's, it's so hard, but that's the, that's what's so wonderful about having access to really talented coaches and therapists is you don't need to lose that fire. That fire is part of your genius. It's part of your inner voices that are constantly uh, engaged in that creative friction to, to produce and to innovate and to make something that's worthwhile and of value. And what gets attenuated through that work, through the coaching and therapy is, is how that information, how that energy gets processed. You know, there, I'm sure you, walked into dry bar, one of your shops where you were channeling that <laughs> anger and frustration in ways that maybe weren't so helpful, but I, uh, I can tell by how you're speaking and how you're expressing some of these concepts that that, uh, is highly likely not the case anymore. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it, it hasn't been the case for a long time. Um, and I, and, and now a lot of it was like having tough conversations with John of like, you know, and, and hearing, and from my brother too, and my brother being like, listen, when you walk in the shop and you're, you know, and, and you're do, you know, and everyone is excited to see you and talk to you. And, and then you're like annoyed and pissed off. It's not the right, it's like not the right vibe. It's not the right look, you know? And, and I, I struggled with that too, because I was like, mm -hmm. I don't care. Like it's my business and I want it to be a certain way. So I, what I, what I learned eventually <laughs> was that there are other ways to go about this. And I, and I, and I remember very specifically, I would, instead of just like unleashing on whoever was there, the manager, the friend, which was not the right person, you know, I would, I would, I would walk out and I would stop what I was doing. And I would make a list on my phone of all the things that weren't the way I wanted them to be. And where, you know, and, and, you know, suspend that stuff while I was in the shop. So I, you know, could have like a pleasant experience because, you know, I'd walk in and I would talk to clients about the business. They were excited to meet me. They, they loved the concept. And then I would, you know, talk to the stylist and talk to the receptionist or bartenders as we call them. And, and, you know, it was more of like, putting not not to say that I couldn't, you know, gently like be like, Hey, like make suggestions, like in a very like friendly, subtle way, it definitely went a longer way to do that. And then to walk out of the store, I'd usually make a, a laundry list of the things that I didn't feel were right, or, or were, you know, that not the way they should be, you know, and then we and then I would sit down and tackle those things with john or, who, you know, whoever the right person was. And, and that was a much more effective way you know, frankly, to like make sure things get done and to put these like my concerns into more of a system, you know, it's like we, we eventually created like, you know, lack of a better word, like a Bible of all the things and how things should be. And like over time, we developed that. And a lot of that came from like, nobody else is as critical of the shop as I am. And nobody else ever will be, you know, I can walk in, oh, I can walk into a shop and what, what seems like everything's running great and perfect. It's like, I can notice a hundred things off the bat that are like, are like, this is not how I want it to be, but I, you know, I needed to help document that and to help us grow. And so, you know, it was, it was a lot of, you know, my brother and John, who were the only people who weren't afraid of me <laughs> to say, Ali, let's find a better way. And, and we, you know, we eventually did, which is again, where a coach I think would have come in handy. Definitely. Well, by you doing that effort and creating a more psychologically safe environment, I suspect more people feel as though it's safe to take a risk and, and to point out things to you that um, may either be helpful to know or critical for you to know. Yeah. And I think I realized also years into it that I didn't want to be the kind of founder or person that created an environment of people around me who were afraid to tell me the truth, who were afraid to, because I might lose my shit, you know, and, and I was that person. And, and I, and I do remember that, you know, I remember this, like, you know, which I nipped in the bud pretty quickly, but this like, Hey, let's try to keep this from her because you know, we'll just, we'll just fix it and whatever, and we'll figure it out. I'm like, no, no, I want to know, like, I want to know things that aren't working. I want to know things that are, people are complaining about. I don't want to be on the outside. I want to be on the inside. I want to know what's, what's not working. But there was this like, oh shit, if we tell her, she's going to like <laughs> lose her shit. So I had to dispel that. And I had to change. I had to change to make sure that I no longer created an environment where people were afraid to speak up. People were, I didn't want people to be afraid of me or what I would do or how I would react. Like, ugh, there's like nothing worse than that, you know? And that right. took me a little while to figure out. Right. Healthy leadership 
healthy management to create a culture that is psychologically safe where people feel it's safe to take an interpersonal risk in my experience first has to start with one's own self-management and doing whatever it takes to be within the never-ending process of uh, growing one's awareness practicing curiosity nurturing kindness which by the way those are our three core values and each of those have three key behaviors that support them and anyone who is doing that inner work knows that can take a while to start to meaningfully uh, excavate one's own stuff while you know, also in, in parallel working with people on a team to mutually create the conditions for the team to function in healthy ways. I mean, it has taken us a number of years to start to operationalize this way of being together, and we still have a very long way to go. But I'm excited and grateful for the work that we're doing and, and how far we've come, especially over the last few years. So that leads me to wonder, how do you think about operationalizing for a desired culture? Like take new hires, for example, when someone new joins the team, are they brought through some kind of experience that reinforces the wish that you just expressed that it's okay and, and ultimately better for the team and organization uh, to speak up? Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely, um, I think it's a, I think it's more of a cultural thing, you know, and something that like we adopted, I would say in like around year four or five, where it's like giving people outlets to talk, you know, and my, my, my sister-in-law, um, Sarah, who is married to my brother, um, obviously she, you know, her, her role and her title was kind of like that. And we think at one point it was like spirit director and then it evolved to like director of, um, director of experience, I think, but basically like her job in a nutshell was to like go into the shops, talk to the stylists, talk to the managers, just about like how they're feeling, you know? Nice. I mean, for me, it was harder because I was a different, like they, it was a different, I couldn't, they wouldn't, they didn't, they wanted to tell me again, back to what I was saying. They wanted to tell me like all the good stuff and whatever. And, and sometimes the bad stuff too, but you know, Sarah was a, more removed that it was easier for them to like open up to her, you know? And so that mentality of like what she would do and what we, we really tried to empower our managers with was like, yeah, like we want to hear the good, bad, and the ugly, like speak up, tell us, you know, what's going on. Cause you know, it's the only way we can improve. And, you know, we had this mentality of like, we want, of course, the customers to be happy and have a great experience, but that doesn't work if our if the people working for us aren't happy and having a great experience. So it was like, hundred percent. What what are the things that make you guys? You know, is it is it having you know earning more money on commission, or is it a paid day off, or is it just you know we always made sure we had snacks in the shop? It's, what are the things? Do you want to be on set with me? Like, what are the things that are motivating to you? So those kinds of conversations and having that 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 kind of culture of like oh we can speak up and we want to speak up and whenever i would do like i don't do them anymore but i used to do these like new hire orientations for probably like the first 50 stores and i would that was one of the things i always talked about with and usually it was a group of like 70 or 80 stylists and i would say like I said to you, like we want, of course, this is like a very customer service centric business. And it's really important that the customers feel really well taken care of. And, and they, that that is huge. And that is what makes or breaks a business. It's equally as important that you feel really taken care of. So if you're having a problem, we, you know, so we would always empower like 
if you're having a problem with your manager, there's a person above your manager that you can talk to. Not that we want to mess with the chain of, I don't like the word chain of command, but you know, if you have a manager, that's who you should speak to when you're having a problem. But if you're having a problem with your manager, shit, what do you do then? Well, here's a, but you can email me, you know, if it's like push comes to shove and there's all these other people that you can reach out to if things aren't going well, because you know, at least come to us with a problem and, and let us, allow us to try to fix it. Maybe it's not a fixable problem and maybe dry bar is not the right fit for you. That happens too. But just as, just as the same way we want to fix customer problems, we want to fix internal problems too. So that kind of like open door policy of like, let's be fully transparent, I think helps create, you know, that whole environment and that culture that's so important. Oh, it's critical. If you can't have those transparent, authentic conversations, um, and also a mechanism, like you said, uh, another way that that uh, we like to think of it is in terms of constructive escalation, like two people agreeing yeah. that if okay, we we disagreed about on this, so I'm just letting you know that I'm going to go to your boss. Would you like to come with me? And so you give the yeah. you give the person the opportunity to be part of that conversation. And I I, thought, I think that's something I've also you know this like radical transparency. You know, I love that and. You know, I think that I didn't, I didn't grow up or I didn't think about that. And I think that's something that I really also learned along the way too, definitely from Adrian too. Like, let's just all talk about it. Like, let's not escape, let's bring it all out, you know? And then I think that that is the healthiest way to do it a hundred percent. Right. And everyone's going to have their own definition of transparency. So to have a, a conversation about transparency, what does transparency mean? It's all, it's all about, you know, generating, seeking clarity, generating clarity. Yeah. Um, so you have a second book that you're writing. I am. Uh, I guess one, has it coming? And two, is there something that's just key that you're itching to express that you haven't expressed or that the you want the world to know about you? You know, I, I don't, I don't know if there's like one thing that I'm dying to express. I think that what is, what's, really therapeutic about this book you know my first book was very much like um you know a, more about hair and hair focus and this is more of like a real internal here's here's my story and here's what i how i did how i did it and i think that that is um i, I think it goes to what we were talking about earlier that like there's this like i i hope that the book will serve as like if i did it you can do it and anybody can do it kind of feel, which is very, you know, which is a lot of like, you know, the, my parents wanted me to marry really well, you know, like all that shit that I, you know, when I was a kid, because, you know, because it was like, who knew where I was going to end up in this, like, you can do, you can figure it out and who knows where your life's going to lead. Um, so there's, there's a piece of that, you know, and then there's like, oh, this is what it was, this is what it really felt like to build a business. And the, and the, you know, a lot of what we're talking about, the ups and the downs and the, what I learned and, um, and the story. And then, and then there's a lot of it that's very personal, like, like, you know, working with my husband and then divorcing my husband and then having kids who went like had to deal with the fallout of that. And then like restarting my life at 40 something years old and, and, um, and picking back up and what all that looks like. So it's a really like personal book. Um, <laughs> I mean, and it's so early. I've, you know, I basically have spent, I mean, I can't believe it was like, it took a year, but I mean, it's like, it was a year of like, it's just, you know, 19 chapters of like, summaries, <laughs> you know, so I'll probably spend the next like six months or so really like, you know, honing in on each, each chapter. It's, it's very, um, man, it was so, uh, like taxing wearing on such an energy suck to do it, which I guess a lot of people feel 
man, you know, going back through all of that stuff of like, you know, from when I was young to, to dry bar and remembering it all. But I think it's, you know, my, my hope anyways, is that it'll be something that'll serve a lot of different people, you know, going through all sorts of different stuff. Like, like I did, like nice. I do. Nice. I'm sure it will. Okay. So as we're winding down here, I want to make sure, uh, we get in, uh, three businesses that you're involved in. Okay. Humans, which is about therapy, squeeze, massage, and Beckett and Quill go. Jewelry. Um, so, well, squeeze was the first kind of new business after dry bar. And that was something that Michael and I were really excited about because we just felt like, like dry bar, there was this hole in the market. There was like your spa where you're spending $300 for a massage, or there is like the discount chain, which is like hit or miss. And the experience is off. And we just felt like there was an opportunity to create something better um, at a good price point, but a great experience, which is largely, you know, what we did with dry bar. And I think the big differentiator of squeeze also is the app. You know, you book on the app, you tip on the app, everything happens through the app. So it, it's like the Uber Postmates of massage, you know, m mixed in with the same founding team of dry bar. Yeah. I would, I would definitely use that. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's really a fantastic. I mean, I just went this weekend and, and I was like, oh, God, I love this place. And you, you know, because and then we have these like the little button under the bed that once you're like snug in your bed, you push it and they, there's a light that tells the therapist you're ready. I mean, there's just all the things. It's just, and you know, you all get the things to, that you're just annoyed with, like you've solved for. Yes. I mean, that is exactly like what we do, you know, it's like, what is annoying about massage? Oh, a lot of things. Let's change all that. That's kind of how squeeze came to be. Um, so we're, it's a completely franchise model. So we started the first one in Studio City. Brittany Driscoll, who's our who's our co-founder and CEO, she's on the move right now. She lives in Nashville. She moved there. And we're, you know, we have, we have a bunch more announcements coming of new squeeze locations opening. So that's exciting. And it's a great, it's a great like turnkey opportunity for, you know, potential, you know, um, want to be entrepreneurs. Like I just want something that's like ready and baked. And it's like, and it's, it's a really great business. So there's that. And then, okay. Humans is such a great story because it came along when I was really in the throes of my depression and, and, and I was going to tons of therapy and Christy Desai, who's our, who's our co-founder on that. I happened to run into her literally on the street when I was walking out of squeeze, just, I mean, you can't script this. That's and cool she was story. like, I've been getting you and I've been wanting to get in touch with you. And I have this idea to create this like therapy concept that's like dry bar, you know, where it's like, you know, creating this like place where it's like right, right now, the one location we have is in, is in Brentwood uh, across from dry bar and next to like Susie cake. So the idea of this was like, we weren't reinventing the wheel. It's therapy as you know, therapy, but now you don't need to go into like a weird medical office. It's like kind of like making it more normal and, and taking away the stigma. And, you know, I mean, again, I think people have been going to therapy for a long, long time where we just created a really beautiful environment around it. An experience, which is kind of what we do, you know, so that's also has a big tech component here. You can book online. You can see the therapists online. Um, and then the last thing, you can, you, know, their, you can see their bios, their little bio videos, which are cool. Yeah. They're, you can see their bios. You can people. talk to them. You can, yeah. It's all very, you know, there's a, there's a big tech aspect to it too, but you go in person, which I think is best. Um, so that's really exciting. And we will be franchising that too. And then the last thing is, is jewelry, you know, which I feel like, you know, some people think is a, is an interesting departure for me, but it's just always been like a passion of mine that kind of falls in like the lifestyle fashion-y part of, 
of me is like I came across this woman, Meredith Quill, who was operating her own business and it was pretty small, but she was like, you know, doing pretty well. And she figured out a way to like make jewelry that looked and felt high end, but didn't have the high end price tag. And I was like, this is great, but needs a new brand and needs a new website and needs like an L, you know, needs to be elevated a bit. So I came in and invested in it and we became partners and I just really love jewelry. And it is that kind of thing where it's like a quick pick me up. And our price point is such that it can be that thing that you just, you know, you pick up a $200 necklace and are really excited about it. And you didn't just spend two grand on it and it will last you. And then you can buy another necklace in a couple months, you know? So um, that's a bit fun business and it's direct to consumer mostly right now. And I'm trying to figure out how to make that work, which is challenging because I know brick and mortar much better. Um, but I, but I'm enjoying the challenge and it's, and it's going pretty well. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and do There's you more coming, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. Is there, is there one in particular? That's coming that you want yeah, to mention? Nothing that I can talk about, but there's some other stuff in the works. Okay. It's like I'm just serial entrepreneur for sure. It's yeah, it's you can't help it. So how do you, given all that you have going on, both in your professional and personal life, you know, seeing you, you are, are vibrant, you have a ton of energy, <laughs> very well um, adapted to the high activity life that you have. Mm. How do you yeah. take care of yourself? Like, what are your self-care non-negotiables that you know you need to do either every day or yeah, throughout the week? Well, that that really evolved for me because I would it's say in the early days of Dry Bar, I I did not take care of myself, and I think that was you know, I mean, honestly, part of like probably a lot of my why I ended up getting divorced, and you know, I only thing I I was very like Dry Bar, Dry Bar, Dry Bar, and then it was like my kids. Dry bar kids, dry bar kids. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. And I, you know, I've, at some point in the dry bar years, I, you know, was like, oh, I I don't have to be in the office at nine o'clock. I can go work out or do whatever I need to do. And I, I started to give myself permission. It took me a long time, but I, because I was like, uh, I felt like I always had to be in the office by nine o'clock. I had this weird, which I didn't. And you don't, you, you know, <laughs> that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur is you can make your own rules. And now, I've taken that really far. Um, and I, I make my own schedule. I don't take a meeting or a call before 10 o'clock ever because I usually go and work out, get my kids out the door to school. I, will, I usually take an 8.30 workout class most days and then I'm done by 9.30. And sometimes I'll take a call because I, I can walk to where I work out, which I love about where I live. I walk everywhere. And on my walk home, I'll take I will take a nine thirty call sometimes. But you know, though that is like a boundary for me. Like mm -hmm. that is important to me. I want to be able to get up with my kids in the morning and be there for them and do all of that. I like to walk my dogs in the morning. That's that's like walking is like a mental release for me, and working out in the morning. And you know, I get lots of facials. I go and get massages a lot. I you know I do acupuncture, and I do these things pretty regularly. Probably like. I don't know more than most people are not, but I make sure those are things. I literally, right before I got on this, this with you today, I was talking to Adrian about, <laughs> he was like, I was like, I just, you know, cause we were trying to schedule something and I like had a facial and I was like, I'm not not doing my facial because like I'm 40, I'm 46 years old. 40, how old am I? Um, I'm going to be 47. So I'm 46. Wow. Um, 
And I was like, I need to do this stuff. I mean, part mentally, because I need to feel this way. And part because, you know, it's like, I, it's important as I age, like to take care of myself. And that, and that is, those are non-negotiables for me. So I make sure like that stuff, I am doing this stuff. And I know that I'm lucky that I, I have the opportunity. I have the resources to do it. I have the time to do it. Um, you know, but I think I've earned it. <laughs> <laughs> you most certainly have earned it. Thank you, Allie. Yeah, this is fun. Great questions. Thank you. I had a lot of fun with you too. Awesome. Thank you to our entire team behind the scenes at Glow. I'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world. Thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents. I'm also grateful to our lovely community of Glow members. You've supported us since 2008, and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider, our Red Cub agency, for production support. And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember, take care of yourself because our world needs you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find the GLOW podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills.